Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. As actors of color, the best you can do is try to navigate those situations as you always do with as much class and dignity and grace as you can. But also don't beat yourself up a ton either because you didn't create this system. You're just trying to do the best you can too. Hello, listeners. Welcome to a very special episode of In the Envelope. Happy Black History Month. Listen, as part of Backstage's ongoing mission to provide platforms for BIPOC, that's Black, Indigenous, People of Color, storytellers, and of course, amplify inclusive stories and on this podcast provide a guide to the industry today, um, we've put together this very special episode tied to Black History Month featuring several recent guests of the podcast, some clips you've heard, some clips you haven't, basically asking them questions that have arisen organically in the arts community, especially, I would say, over the last year or so. The genesis for this idea, in fact, was from Prentice Penny, uh, the creator of Insecure, because of that snippet that you just heard of his. We were not able to air this full section of his interview, but it did sort of provide a jumping off point. In the wake of the summer of 2020, and Black Lives Matter becoming this huge national movement, we at Backstage started asking, you know, what are we uniquely positioned? We are uniquely positioned and qualified to outline for our Black readers and listeners and for non-Black readers and listeners firsthand experiences of successful Black artists, how to navigate the biz if you are from any minority background, if you are in any way outside of the status quo, because Hollywood does in fact have a, have a status quo. As we will hear in these interviews, Hollywood is an extension of America, is an extension of the world. We hope that listening to these conversations can kind of provide some perspective, some reflection, and maybe even a call to action. I mean, listen, the first step of allyship is humility. Uh, first of all, a sense that your background is your background and having the empathy to step outside of yourself and see that your biases are not other people's biases, to see that you have biases. I think that kind of inward reflection is sort of the first step. And the second step is listening. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to listen to these excerpts from these amazing, talented Black artists. And then maybe coming out of that, this is especially for those of you who happen to be white who are listening to this, what can we then do with that? How can we impact systemic change? What baby steps can we take, no matter how overwhelming it may feel or how unfair it feels to see examples of injustice? implicit and explicit in Hollywood and in our country. I also want to say, rest assured, listeners, we are going to continue asking these questions. And this episode is kind of an experiment, and we're going to see how it goes. We would love to hear your feedback. But by no means is this a one-off. We're patting ourselves on the back. We've solved anti-Black racism in Hollywood. <laughs> if anything, I'd really like to continue to make this a series and keep asking you know, guests of all backgrounds, from all walks of life in the industry, what they are doing to think about how the system stands and how they can change it. So that's all I have to say. I will be checking in in between all of these little snippets to kind of reintroduce each of these guests and make sure everyone is remembering who they are. I also just want to thank them, all of the artists featured on today's podcast, including you'll hear at the very end from casting director Destiny Lilly. Thank you so much for joining us, Destiny. Okay, let's get right to this interview with Prentice Penny. We're going to dive right into the bit where we are talking about an op-ed he wrote for Deadline where he speaks pretty directly to racism and discrimination in Hollywood, particularly a response to the kind of movement in the wake of this summer's, this past summer's Black Lives Matter movement to erase from television episodes that feature blackface. We're going to jump right in 
2020 Jack and Prentice, <laughs> take it away. I definitely want to link to your deadline piece in this in the article that we write for today's episode. And just to just to quote it for listeners mm-hmm. who maybe haven't read it, you say prejudice, racism, and white fragility slash unawareness are a sliding scale. Blackface getting on the air is a symptom of a much larger and disturbing problem, lack of representation in the writer's room. Could you tell me a little bit about what it is about 2020 or what the impulses were and the experiences you've had that led to you writing this very powerful and very frank column? Yeah, I I mean, obviously, you know, we see these things happening in our world politically and culturally in our world today, right? Um, to me, the, the to me the thing was which I said was the the whole problem, and and I wanted to say a sliding scale because I think there's this thing that if you say you do a thing, you're immediately labeled like you're racist, and I was like I don't want white people to feel like oh you do this thing you're racist because like nobody wants to be identified. I mean if you're like a decent person, you don't want to be identified as being racist, right? So right. like that's the thing, right? So but things are changing, things are moving, and sometimes we can do things that that aren't racist, that can still be offensive and still be hurtful without us being like a full on, you know, you know, racist, you know what I mean? So it's a scale, right? It slides, right? This, this is more offensive. This is less offensive. I mean, just like in the world, there are things that are really hurtful and things that are like not as hurtful, right? It's not like it's all or nothing. So I wanted to kind of just say that like, here's the freedom to like, let's see where we are on this scale, right? You, sometimes you might be doing something that's like, blackface, which is very far. Sometimes you might do something that's just like, oh, I didn't hire enough people. Or I'm not thinking away. That's a certain part on the scale. And it's all, it's all degrees. Yeah. Um, so that was like the main thing I wanted to just even start with. It's like nothing is all or nothing. Um, but I, I think when you have to see people in your writers, I think if you write jokes, but then you have to see those people, you have a different perspective mm-hmm. of the joke because there's a difference between saying, I think this is funny or I'm making fun of somebody and, but like, are, are they in on the joke? That's different. Right. Yeah. And so if the, if the thing becomes, if there's nobody in your room that looks like the thing you're mocking, then like, mm-hmm. maybe that's kind of the problem is you feel more free than to like do it because they're not in your face. You don't have to look at anybody who looks like that. But by the time it comes on the air, you're not around them every day. But like, if you had a room that had like two or three people of color or black people in that room, I doubt you're making that blackface joke. Like, I doubt they, like, you will have to look at them and go like, oh yeah, like, that's a joke that's gonna, like, fly and be okay when you have to look those people in the eye. So, um, and, and to the effect of, like, and if you do have those writers in the room, are they a high enough level to feel comfortable to say, like, if you have a, if you're, if you're higher, which is what a lot of shows do, which is, like, you hire, you know, you get the the studio to pay for the, um, like minority writer, well, that's usually like the baby writer. So like yeah. now you've put this baby writer in a situation where like they are trying to get their career going, but they don't want to like, this is wrong, but like, I don't, I'm you in this weird position. Yes. As opposed yeah. to like, well, why aren't you hiring? Like maybe don't use the studio money. Maybe go just hire like a person of color who's a co-EP and like, yeah. Cause that person feels more empowered to say something to you. But then that's also the thing of who they decide to hire at what level says, says those things too. Right. I, I want to hire you, but I don't want to be challenged. I, I, I don't ever want to be questioned about anything. You know what I mean? So all right. those things kind of go into the pot of, you know, things that we need to be better about. Yeah. And it's so interesting. The point about it's, it's the physical optics. It's the actual optics of if the person is in the room with you, that is when it's less likely to yeah. have stereotypes enacted or to have offensive jokes that I, I doubt a lot of people are thinking about the audience's perception when there's a room full of faces that all look the same. And so maybe yep. you're just going to assume that your audience also looks the same. Well, also looks at it the same, yeah, uh, 100%. And it really just speaks to, like, obviously the course of action, and you mentioned this in the piece, for the powers that be is to just hire those people, like you're saying, make, hire a talented writer who happens to be a person of color, make them a co-EP. What can those people earlier in their career who maybe have to pick their battles, especially I'm thinking of on this podcast, we talked to a lot of actors. Mm-hmm. What can actors do in general to address or to combat these systemic issues? Uh, I mean, I think something, I mean, again, it's like what level of actor is saying it, right? And I think it really mm-hmm. goes to like, 
I think the truth of it is it really goes to, and, I, and I've tweeted about this, and I've said at a certain point, white people have to fix the problem because people of color didn't create the problem. So you're like putting, you, it's like this problem was created for a certain group of people, and then you're like, okay, well now you fix it. <laughs> who didn't create yes. it because like you don't have the like the 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 power like like Jennifer Aniston mm-hmm. going into the sh- going into the morning show and I, I don't know I'm just picking her as just like a big profile star going and saying look uh I need the whole crew to be 50% people of color period 100% that gets done 100% you know what I mean? So it's not incumbent on like some smaller, it's not incumbent on some smaller actor of color to like go in and like make these demands because they'll just go, well, this TV show has eight characters. You're the only one that's a person of color. So like we can replace you easier than we can replace Jennifer Aniston. Totally. Right. So it's just like, it's not really even on actors of color unless they're like Denzel or Viola Davis or the Kerry Washington yeah. of the world, who are you, who again are already doing that. So like, that's not where the change is going to come. The change is going to come when like somebody like to, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I just saw Ryan Reynolds was like, Oh, I'm going to start doing this now. And I was like, yeah, that's what it takes. It takes the Ryan Reynolds of the world. It takes the, it takes the Tom Cruise of the world. I mean, that's what it really yeah. takes it. Just like in the real world, it takes the, like the football owners, not the football players to make the It takes the people in power to make the change. It's hard to, I mean, people change like the, like the, like the quote unquote, the people can do a part, but they can only do a part to a certain point. The people who maintain the power, who, who can get on the phone, who can pick up the phone and call vice presidents, governors, and get the call answered by the governor <laughs> are the ones that actually can do it, you know, who have a real responsibility to. So uh, I think as actors of color, the best you can do is try to navigate those situations as you always do with as much class and dignity and grace as you can. Um, and sometimes you might lose jobs because of it, and that sucks. Um, well, that's the picking the battles of, of yeah, and it's just like it's all. And then I hate that it's like, but but also don't like beat yourself up a ton either because you didn't create this system. You're just trying to do the best you can too, you know. So yeah, I, I always just try to say like people of color, like there's no there's no blanket like point of view you can have or no blanket stance that you're like, cause every scenario is different. Every situation is different. Every right. thing you walk into is different. So I would just say, just do the best you can. As long as you can live with yourself, that's the most important right. thing. Right. Um, so, yeah. Right. I'm very much a believer in like, especially with actors. I mean, I just, we at backstage, we have so much respect for actors and yeah. actors in situations like that. They should not be judged for making those individual decisions that you have to make based on what you will and will not accept, what you what you have enough clout and power to challenge versus not. It's like and if you and if you are like I had I have I mean I obviously have a lot of friends of mine who are actors, and they've said too like I walked out of this audition because I just was like I'm not doing yeah. this. Like and I was yeah. like that's fair. I mean that's I mean again I was to say as long as you can live with yourself that's really the best you can do because you're the one that has to like look back on it and go. And there's been jobs I've not taken as as a writer. Cause I just was like, I don't want to write this. This is, I don't want to do this. Um, and it just was what it was. And so yeah. I, I, cause I was like, I can't live with myself knowing I'm doing that. Um, so yeah. And what's interesting is that those stories, I feel like they don't get told this. St- I mean, specifically the stories of walking out of an audition or turning down a job. Like those aren't typically what, you go to the press to talk about, maybe it's a little sensitive. It's a little bit like everyone's just trying to make their project, but I kind of feel like people maybe need to hear more of the, of the nose of the, the no, I turned this down and this is why, you know, but it's tough. I guess it's tough because we, what you don't want to do is like, feel like now you like, let's say you're, I had a friend of mine that was had an audition for a show years ago on a cable network. That's like a pretty prominent cable network. And he was just like for a big show. And he was just like, I, he's like, I'm not doing this. He was like, I can't even, he's like, I read it. And I was just like, I can't even go and audition. And he had done a, a bunch of stuff. And I, and he was just like, but also if I go out and like say that, now yeah. the casting director won't bring me in because I did this thing. Then the network, when they have their other shows, 
they're not going to want to mess with me. So it's like, again, it's like putting, it's like, when does it ever go great for the whistleblower? You know, what's the, you know, and it's like, it's not really incumbent upon the whistleblower. It's like, look at Colin Kaepernick. It's like, that's the same thing. It's like, he did a thing and now he's penalized for the rest of his life because of this stance he took. It's like the powers that be get to go on and all these other people get to go on, but it's like, it shouldn't be on this one lone person to be, to like bring down a system. It should be on the system to mm-hmm. fix the system, you know? So okay. it's the same thing when like a girl gets assaulted and you're like, somebody goes, well, she should have been wearing that. It's like, that's not the question we should be asking. The question we should be asking is yeah. why did this person feel okay to do this? So the question I would ask is like, why did this network feel it was okay to like empower this show or empower that showrunner to write that thing, you know, exactly. or, or to even pick up a show like that or develop a show like that? Like, that's the question we should be kind of asking low key, exactly. not, not why did this actor do this or do, you know? It's addressing the root of the problem rather than like a branch. The sliding scale is so apt because as you're saying, it's not, um, I mean, black or white is not the phrase to use here because that's <laughs> confusing, but it's not a binary of like, that is racist and that is yes. not. There, yes. are, there are so much more that requires, but of course we tend to want to put a label on something. This is bad, yeah. this is good. Like you're saying- And we're human beings and, yeah. and no human being is all, you know, one thing, you know, it's just like, this. like, you know, there are things you're, all of us, there are things that we're, that we're more conservative about. There are things that we're, that we're more liberal about. I mean, yeah. we're just, we're just, we're all in shades of gray. Nobody is all one thing, you know, bad, good. It just, we're like human beings. So I think that like we can have conversations as human beings as opposed yeah. to being labeled bad, good, you know. Yeah. Cause it is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to talk it's about. So, it, it, it really is. And I'm, thank you so much for going there with me because it's, um, we want to use this platform, we want to try to use this platform to have more conversations like these. And I knew, I knew you could, I knew you would go there with me. So thank you. Yeah, sure. Hey there, listeners. 2021 Jack checking back in. That was Prentice Penny. You will hear next from Aldous Hodge, recent podcast guest Aldous Hodge, speaking to Prentice's point of, quote, having conversations as human beings. That is very much Aldous's artistic process as an actor, and it is certainly his advice to the powers that be in the industry. He had a lot of frank thoughts about what the powers that be in the industry how they should see representation on screen, authenticity in Black characters and Black culture. We are going to excerpt uh, just part of our very long interview. Aldous and I spoke for well over our 45 minute to an hour allotment in this interview. This is producer, entrepreneur, recently SAG Award nominated star of One Night in Miami, Aldous Hodge. It's constant preparation and and growth and learning. As an artist, you have to be a consummate student because the moment you stop learning is the moment your craft begins to die. And I believe that with all of our, uh, all of what we contribute as an artist, a lot of times people seek mostly what to get out of it for them, what to get out of the experience for themselves, but you're gonna get something out of it regardless. What makes you mm. great is what you can figure out to contribute to the craft, what are you pushing mm. into it, you know? Mm. Um, and case in point, with roles in, in certain things, like I said, you know, athletes and, and, and playing thugs, mm. that's actually, there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's the context sure. behind it. Are you giving me this opportunity because that's the only way you see us? Because athletes are fantastic. We, you know, as far look, black culture, we we have shown up and shown out. And you see basketball, football, baseball, tennis, da da da. We dominate in so many areas athletically in a beautiful way. That cannot be uh, 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 discounted. You know, hmm. it, it, because we have the examples, we have the history. So it's not a bad thing at all. But in terms of opportunities of equity, you have right. doctor, lawyer, this, that, the, da, 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 for mm-hmm. all these other, you know. And then for black people, you've only seen us one way. And my question is why? So if right. I'm going to play an athlete, if, I, if, if I'm going to play... Uh, uh, and again, I'm speaking to my personal experience because for my time and my teens, this is all I was given. Totally. Only because that's what we were, you know, you know, in the ang- angsty teenage, you know, sitcom mm. or whatever. It's like you got the, you know, the nerd here. You got the hot kid. The da 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 da. And ah, guys, we need we need diversity. Uh, bring the black guy in to be the football player. And it's like, right. But I'm a nerd. 
I love science. I love engineering. Right. Like, can I be that guy? <laughs> um, so yeah. there has to be a purpose to it. And with that, if there is a whole human being behind that person, I'm all for it. If there's a mm. reason, if there's a purpose to it, if there's a real performance opportunity there, I'm for it. If their character is layered and has meaning and has heart, you know, you look at mm. uh, 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 Denzel in Training Day and his character was not mm. a good person. No. He was layered and <laughs> conflicted and yeah. he was awesome and brilliant. He wasn't yeah. a common thug. He was a human being that yeah. made some really outrageous choices. That's what I want. <laughs> but if you want yes. me to be a common thug, because this is what you personally believe black people are, yeah. it, you know what I'm saying? So for, for actors, I say, I say weigh out the value of it because it's not just the yes. archetype of the role particularly, it's the purpose behind the role and why is it? Are you getting an opportunity or are you allowing mm. someone to use your black ass? <laughs> it's basically yes. what I'm saying. <laughs> totally, totally. And in fact, it's also, it's also, that's so empowering for actors because what you're saying is like actors have maybe innately or maybe it's a skill you got to grow, the ability to assess that uh, yeah. for, back, for lack of a better word, authenticity. Like you yeah. have the ability to assess, is this serving the story in a way that is true to the story? Mm. Or is this the creator making some negative stereotype or right. checking a diversity box or right. having right. a limited view? Exactly. And I tell you, it's not an easy pathway. It's one full of sacrifice, but it is one that has gotten me exactly mm. to where I am today. So that is all the advice I know to give. Right. And that's exactly, I mean, what else can you, what else can you offer in terms of, mm. in terms of the path? Have you seen in this path, have you seen things change? Like, are we seeing in audition rooms and in the decisions of what projects are greenlit, are we making progress away from these <laughs> no, no, no. limited? Oh my gosh. Aldous. <laughs> Absolutely not. Here's, here's why I say that. Here's why I say that. The fact that you have to ask the question shows that we haven't changed. Absolutely. Okay. Great. Yeah. Real change. Uh, people forget that, um, you know, man, I grew up with Martin and Fresh Prince and Full House. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I, I mean, not, uh, not Full House, uh, Family Matters, you know, and mm. we had that moment, you know, before that we had, you know, Webster, we had uh, Cosby's, you know, mm -hmm. what happens, what I see consistent constantly with, with Hollywood is we are treated as a trend. Right. Here's a okay. moment. Here's your time. Boom. Trend. A but moment. then the trend goes up and down. It's really great. Yeah. Oh, we got to get black people in the room. Da, da, da. But do you know why you need black people in the room? Do you know why? Mm -hmm. It's because it's normal. We supplement so much value for the culture of America, for Absolutely. what we all benefit from. And it's not just black people. It's, it's all cultures. Right. Oh, yeah. So we need to really spread that equity all around. But as it re relates directly to black people, we don't mm -hmm. get that same equity when it comes to consistency. I will see change when there is consistency for years on end. Gotcha. A moment means nothing to me because we've had a moment so many times before and we have to learn. If we get comfortable in this moment and stop doing the work and stop pushing, mm. then we will eventually recede and go back because history is repetitious, totally. right? And have we really learned the lesson? So the fact that we have to have the imagine asking that question about white people. It seems laughable and ridiculous because it sure. is. Right. Do white people have the same opportunities in, in industry as, the, as uh, they've always had, right? And all we're saying is we deserve that same consistency, right? Uh -huh. So absolutely. that's what we're trying to establish. So yeah. no, I have not seen the change and I will continue to say that until I absolutely firmly do see change that has changed that has has altered my opinion sure. um, because for me i see people making good efforts uh yeah. i see there's a different uh opportunity uh opened up when i see us in creative roles and creative dominant creative positions yeah you know when you have the 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 kenya barrises and the lena Waits. And, mm. and the, the uh, Anthony Hemingways, you know, mm. taking up their creative dominance in their space that they've earned yeah. and that they've built. And we have more of that, it spreads around the opportunity of equity. But 
Yes. Change hasn't fully, fully realized itself yet. And I believe I have faith that it's coming. Don't get me wrong. I'm not completely pessimistic here. Because otherwise, why? Yeah, you couldn't move forward. Yes. But here's another thing that I want people to understand and and sort of this is why I say it. Um, Especially last year, I was here's what real equity looks like. And I don't mind speaking on this. Uh, Last year, I was approached by several different teams for um, the opportunity to work on projects and, 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 you know, They've got a project, they've got a script or whatever. They come to me, hey, look, um, all executive team is white, writer's white, you know. <laughs> hey, we have this uh, story, you know, it's black lead, we want a black story, we want to talk about this, that, and the other. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, I'll read the story, I'll go through the notes, and I'll say, guys, here's where you have to watch things culturally. Um, this is okay. where you may have missed the mark. This is where you didn't understand this. You don't understand the fact that it will have on the black culture. Because when you sell this, you're gonna use the black culture to sell this commercially, right? Right, you, right. This is what you're gonna to use to line the pockets. You're gonna sell the culture. But no one in the room mm-hmm. is, of the, is of the culture, right? Right. So I always say, as my first producerial decision, hmm. you need to get black people in the writer's room, rewrite the script. So the be honest room. and true. Yeah. yeah. And they all say no. Because here's the thing, they treat it like a trend. Last year, oh, we're seeing all what's going on and okay. here's an opportunity. So let's use this to, to make a movie. Let's get it right now. Let's rush and let's put black people. Putting black people on TV is not the answer. Right. It's creating a space where we have ours, yeah. where you expect it to be ours. What I don't understand is why are you so interested in writing a story for black people if you care so much about black people, but you're now out there on the front lines, you haven't marched, you haven't protested, and in 2020, you just realized that racism is real. Yeah. We've had the signs, so you just want to make black, you want to make money off of black people, but you don't want to make money with and for black people. Like, get it together, Hollywood. So again, when you ask, is it changing? This is what I see from the internal side of the conversation mm-hmm. that I have to battle against as an mm-hmm. artist. And it frustrates me to no end. This is not everybody, of course, granted, but there are yeah. still multiple cases where people don't understand how to do it right. Giving, uh, writing a narrative to give a job, that's not the point. Getting out of the way is the point. Mm, cool. Get out of the damn way, <laughs> you know, yeah. because if you want to write a story, great. If you want to initiate a story, great. But go get the team to do it. Right. And those people do have to be behind the camera forces, right? Like it has to be the yes. Kenya Barrises and the and the Lena Waits of the world rather than just we're casting one person as yeah. the one black person in the role. He's yeah. an actor. <laughs> I, I think I think that initial step and the idea of it is well-intentioned and well-meaning. I just yeah. don't think that it is the end-all, be-all, and people need to learn more. Share the executive room yes. if you want yes. to go down this pathway. Otherwise, right. don't write a black story. Write yeah. a story, and, yeah. and, and, and this here's the difference. Write a story and audition, get the best actors for the role. And if that actor happens to be black or Latin or Asian, then let that be that. But don't point it towards their culture if you have nobody in the room who's protecting their culture with the narrative. Because that's just just chasing a trend. I can be a cop. But if you want to write about a black cop's experience, Hmm. put some black people in the room. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? There's a difference. Thank you, Aldis, for your candor. The point about this not being a trend, this idea of Black Lives Matter or Black Lives Matter in the context of the industry, representing them authentically on screen, that that is not a trend. I just wanted to speak on behalf of Backstage, especially the editorial team. I'd like to read from this letter we wrote in June of this year when the Black Lives Matter movement was sort of entering the mainstream in a big way. We, we wanted to say, this is from Backstage, We know there is much more work to be done and we are going to continue playing our part. As the starting point for many looking to bring their stories and themselves to the stage or the screen, we know the power of inclusive art and art making. Our ongoing mission to provide platforms, hold space for, and actively champion black and brown stories and inclusive casting will not stop. So again, we hear Aldis's point about that we don't want this to be just a trend. 
we at Backstage are working to continue to highlight these, uplift these voices and highlight these stories. Link to in every episode description of this podcast is our list of resources relating to the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, Shifting gears here to another frank and very fun interview like Aldous, this is Caldwell Tidicue, who is perhaps best known as his drag persona, Bob the Drag Queen, winner of RuPaul's Drag Race, and um, definitely someone who's active in terms of scripted projects on stage and screen. I think Bob's perspective here is a really valuable one because in addition to speaking to kind of that traditional, maybe more traditional side of Hollywood, and speaking as a black person operating in Hollywood, he's also very much a member of the queer community and active in the drag world. He identifies as non-binary. To say that Bob understands discrimination from multiple different angles is certainly an understatement. Um, This is somebody who understands how to use his platforms as an activist. And so I encourage you again to listen to this full interview. We're going to dive in here and just listen to Bob talk about some of his experiences, his anecdotes, his stories working in Hollywood. All right, here is Bob the Drag Queen. I would love to ask about navigating Hollywood, specifically Hollywood. As a black? (laughs) As a non, well, as a non-white person and as a non-straight person, you know, as a, I don't know. You know, I surround myself with queer people of color. So sometimes I am blithely unaware of what it is like in these streets to okay. uh, be, I, for, I haven't been, I haven't lived in uh, Columbus, Georgia in so long. Hmm. I forgot what it's like to be a black queer person when you're not surrounded by, you know, queer people of color and, and trans people and, and, and artists. I've forgotten about that. Yeah. And then we uh, released the trailer for We're Here. And oh, yeah. girl, let me just say, the HBO Twitter is not the same place as the world of one of Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> the Game of Thrones fans are not um, <laughs> the same people. It's a, it's a different breed. That's a new and community for it you. It is. And I was, like, are these, I was like, are these all bot accounts? Or do people really feel this way? This really was popping off right now. Yeah. Um, I know that, like, in terms of, like, there's, I, I don't even know where to start. Even with little stuff like makeup, I mean, the hair department, mm-hmm. um, how you yeah. look on camera, um, the, the way they will write in your voice. Like, I was, uh, like, you'll, you'll go to, you'll read the script and it'll be like, hell to the nah, motherfucking And I'm like, I just wouldn't say that. Right. And not that someone wouldn't say it, but I wouldn't say it. And they'll be like, oh, we wrote this in your voice. And I'm like, is that how you guys sound? Oh, no. Like, is that, is that what I sound like to you? Wait, so that's been an experience you've had that people have said, we wrote this for you. And you go, this doesn't reflect me at all. Yeah, I've had people write things in my voice and then me be like, I don't talk like that. Like, I don't speak that way. Um, and I, mean, I had a discussion with, a, with um, one of the... Um, actors from Brooklyn Nine-Nine about uh, what it's like to like have a voice of a community that may fit into Because I do, I will say this, I do sound black. I think if you heard my voice over the phone, you'd be like, oh, this is a black gay person. Like off the <laughs> okay. bat. No one, I, you're not going to think that I'm Jim Carrey or, you know, John Mulaney. If you heard okay. this voice and John Mulaney showed up, you'd be surprised. Quite right. <laughs> um, but it's got like Wanda Sykes and Wanda Sykes sounds black. You know what I mean? Sure. But sure. It, it seems hard to write that if you're not black or it seems like from what right. my experience, right. people aren't nailing it. Very few writers, Tony Kushner. Um, oh, right. He can mm-hmm. write. I've heard him write black voice. I'm like, wow, that actually sounds about right. But right. And you played a black character that he wrote. Yeah, I played Belize and Angels in America. Right. Um, but some other stuff I'd be like, what the hell is this? Like, what the hell, motherfucker? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, who wrote who wrote this? And you've seen that in Hollywood. Girl, y- you've seen it in Hollywood. I mean, yeah. we've all seen it in Hollywood. <laughs> and and it's the difference between watching, let's say, if you watch Friday, uh-huh. which was written by Ice Cube. And then you watch some other movie where black people are just wedged into it. Right. And it's interesting, okay. in my opinion, to see the difference between how Ice Cube would write for black people mm-hmm. and how white people would write those same roles. 
It's like when I see it, I, just, I, I cringe. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh my God. That just sounds so horrible. Right. And, and like you said, like I've seen it too. Like we all, we can pick up you, on that. You ever see gay characters written and, and the characters like, yes, miss mama, miss God, miss pros. And right. you're like, we don't all talk like Laganja Strange on season five of RuPaul's Drag Race. Right. right. And by five, also, I mean six. But um, but like that's <laughs> you, were you about to drag me? You're about to be like, actually, it was six, mom. Um, <laughs> but also, to be fair, we don't all not talk that way. I mean, there right. are moments where I will, like, I, there was a moment on where here where I was uh, walking down the street, and they were like, just walk down the street how you would. Uh, by the way, which, we're here is not scripted. Just as a reminder. Yes. They were like, just walk down the street how you would, like, you know, like voguing or whatever. And I said, you think I walk down the street voguing? Is that how you think I walk down the street? I was said, it like a director? It was uh, some producer. And I was like, I walk down the street very similarly to how you walk down the street. Uh-huh. And walk that down the street voguing. <laughs> they said, like how you normally would, you know, like voguing. And I was like, what is it? And I remember saying it, I said out loud, is that how you think I walk down the street? Like I walked from the van to here. Did you see me voguing? Right. <laughs> I just walked over here. Yeah. You know I, mean? I mean, I may have had a little swish in my step and a hint of sugar <laughs> in my tank, but I wasn't voguing. <laughs> like I look gay, but I don't look. You know, I'm, I, I'm not. I'm not. Every day of my life isn't a scene from Pose. Right. Well, that's uh, Pose is actually a great example. Like I just keep thinking we have a ways to go when it comes to. I mean, you mentioned these gay roles. There's the the flamboyantly gay roles. There's been like three. There's been like, <laughs> there's been yeah. Jack McFarland and you know a couple supporters in movies. And that's yeah, it. pray tell. But also, pray tell is written into a like a extremely queer world. And Jack McFarland is yes. also written into a queer world. But also, even in that show, there's only one okay, flamboyant okay. queer. I'm right now. In my group, we're all Jack McFarland. There's one will. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> There's not totally. one Jack. There's one Will, and everyone's totally. like, everyone, we're all <laughs> shitting and hurrying and yesing. But it's yeah. also about finding the, the nuance of like, you know, when I would call my 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 friends who identify as male girl and she and her, hmm. um, and just making it authentic. Yeah. And the best way, to, in my opinion, the best way to get that authenticity is to have someone from that experience, right. And there are the anomalies where some people can write in those voices and, mm. and have some great, you know, moments. And that goes back to like, it helps to have a community and to, to have a spirit of collaboration as you do. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Hi listeners. It's Jack again. That was Bob the Drag Queen. Up next is another guest who, like Bob, is an expert on all things discrimination in the industry, then and now, for women, for Black people, for minorities outside the status quo. This is producer, actor, director, writer extraordinaire Rashida Jones. We were so excited to book her to speak to these exact issues. Rashida Jones, of course, uh, probably best known for her work in Parks and Recreation, in many an indie film and TV comedy. This year she starred in Hashtag Black AF from Kenya Barris on Netflix, and the Sofia Coppola movie On the Rocks. We're going to jump right in with the big question. What is the state of Hollywood today? In the wake of Me Too, in the wake of a renewed focus on Black Lives Matter in the industry, certainly amid a pandemic. This is a great interview to listen to if you are stuck at home and wondering what you can do to uh, think about this ever-changing industry. Let's go straight to that question here in the Rashida Jones interview. I think of you as someone who's, who's very much got your finger on the pulse of the industry, which has gone through not just this year. I'm thinking about the, you know, Hollywood in general, mm. uh, a couple years ago with Time's Up, or this year there has been, this year, but just more and more, there's a renewed focus on representation in media mm. and racism even in the industry. You know, what what would you say is the state of the industry in 2020? Are what are your what are the reasons for hope? <laughs> and then what else can we do? Can what else can I do and what can specifically actors do? Well, you know, I guess the good and bad news is I think the state of the industry is in flux. Yeah. There's a lot of transition. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we're all sort of grieving this idea that uh movies and movie theaters are less and less um, 
like how, how things are released. Um, but there's way more content so that's really great. And also Mm -hmm. there's an opportunity right now to story tell from all different places that never got attention before. So that's Mm. incredible in terms of representation. You're just going to get, it's like, it's like on trend right now for studios and networks to buy stories that are kind of outlying stories of people that haven't had a voice before. So that's really good. I hope it's not a trend. It should stick. Um, But I also, my biggest concern is that the people who are at the very top of the pile in this business, they don't really care about the day-to-day, like they don't care about the working class actor and they don't care about the working class writer. And they don't, meaning like, Mm. you know, there's a whole there's a whole middle class of performers and creators that are not benefiting from these huge deals that you're seeing across the board. And, Mm. you know, those, those people are the fabric of the industry, those people and the crew behind the scenes and in front of the camera. And I'm concerned that we are so excited about the gold rush of opportunity that's coming in Mm. with tech that we are missing the fact that they, that an entire industry that kind of doesn't give a shit about art and is really about tech is, is calling the shots. That's my Mm -hmm. concern. That's what I think we keep our eye on. Um, like Mm -hmm. these great deals and this great representation, like beware because Mm -hmm. I, I just, I, I just am concerned about what that will do to the to the business at large mm-hmm. when we give away where our... is the advice yeah. it is, it's important to just keep having these conversations and like keeping an eye on it yes i had not thought of it as working class like a middle class of yeah. artists that i think also kind of reflects what's happening in the country where absolutely also in our country there's a lot of people at the top that are remaining at the top and right Yes. Right. Like people. And by the way, lest, lest we forget that tech billionaires have gotten richer during the pandemic, yeah. richer, yeah. doubled and their wealth. And like that is, that's problematic. And even if they do create jobs and even if they do create opportunities and they do seem to be champions of diversity, they're still mm. hoarding all the money, you know? Yeah. That's why you feel distrustful of those kinds of, um, of their, of their motives, because the proof is in the pudding. Exactly. If they're getting richer. Then... Exactly. So that's, and that's obviously like, you know, when it comes to acting jobs, it, that feels like way far away from where you're, where the thinking is, but I think as an industry, right. it's going to be our biggest challenge is how do we, how do we survive? Like, I, I still don't understand why we don't all just like own our own stuff. Like, yeah. you know, there was United Artists, like, where's our version of that? Where is mm. like, that's my call to arms. It's like, own your content. I don't know how that happens. I don't know how we do it, but it does feel like artists should be funding their own work and benefiting from their own work. And then I would say, you know, just, just on a day to day, uh, in a day to day way, you know, just continue to protect each other and advocate for each other. Like I think set is a very weird place where, um, lines are blurred. And I think the reason, you know, me too was successful was because, people got to line up and support each other, um, as they said Mm. things out loud that were scary and they felt like we're going to ruin their lives and their careers. Mm. So we can't be afraid to speak up because we feel like we're going to be unpopular or we're not going to get cast again, or we're not going to get jobs again. Like we have to keep pointing to what's Mm. wrong. And like, you know, I will privately say to my friends and hopefully publicly someday, like, Hey, like how do, how does everybody feel about taking these giant deals from tech companies? Like we do realize that, you know, there's some problems there, right? Like as Mm. creators, because you know, you have to say something. Um, and then similarly, you know, with, with exploitation and, you know, Mm -hmm. and power dynamic exploitation, you have to continue to say something. It's not okay just because it's the standard. Like it's okay to be like, Hey, you know, what's not cool is that. And like, yeah, let me say something and let me find a friend and they can hold my hand and let me say something. If you are listening to Bob and Prentice and Aldis and Rashida and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm only beginning to understand or I have already understood and it's just being further ingrained in me just how deeply systemic these these issues facing people of color and facing black people in Hollywood and by extension the country and by extension the world are and you are not alone in feeling that way. Listen, I hear you. 
what to do with that information and, and how to use your energy and your resources, which are finite, how to look around you. You know, first step is reflection and introspection. Next step is listening to these perspectives. I think here we are at the part of the show that is kind of this third step. What can you then do? What are the calls to action? It's probably baby steps, and that's okay. That you probably, if you feel overwhelmed by all of these issues, that's okay. I hope that hearing these voices kind of helps point you in the right direction. This next interview is with Justin Simeon. He speaks for actors, certainly. He has a lot of praise for actors in his full interview, but especially for writer, director, creator types, particularly those whose backgrounds and stories are not as represented in mainstream entertainment. Justin Simeon is another queer artist. He's very determined. He's made it his mission. He talks a lot about his artistic mission to tell authentically queer Black stories. This whole interview is primo advice, and I think it's a good example of like, all right, I'm hearing from these perspectives. I'm ready to dig deep and think about what I can do. His advice speaks directly to that. Let's go straight to the part of this interview where we're jumping in where Justin is advising storytellers on navigating Hollywood as both an entrepreneur, marketer, businessman type, and then also as like a creative artist and how those are one and the same. If you don't know who Justin Simeon is, I encourage you to look up the film and the Netflix series, Dear White People. And again, please listen to this interview in full. It's a really, really valuable one. Let's jump right into it with Justin Simeon. I think our listeners, especially those just getting into the industry, I feel like on this podcast, we've even talked before about the idea that you got to get good at the business side of things. You got to be good at networking and being able to sell yourself. And then there's the artistic creative side of things. But you're saying the artistic, there's artistry and creativity to be found in figuring out how to sell your products and sell yourself. Absolutely. I I don't think you, I mean, look, you can do it however you want to do it. For me, Uh segmenting myself into all these different people doesn't, you know, help that much because I'm already a bunch of different people. You know, I mean, that's the (laughs) truth about how psychology and trauma just work. If you're an actor, you already know you got trauma, but especially if you're a person of color or you're marginalized or you're a woman or you're dealing with something on top of just being a human being that for whatever reason wants to create, you're already segmented. And the goal of your life is going to be to integrate and be a whole person. So instead of going to a room as half of yourself or a third Mm. of yourself or an eighth of yourself, go into every room as yourself and do the things that you want to do because you are clear on why you're doing them and what it's all for. You know, like I, I remember, I never would go to networking events. I I never Mm -hmm. did. I hated them. Mm -hmm. I I didn't. and, And I didn't understand for me personally why I had to go because I, if I didn't have a project that was ready, you know, and people would harangue me all the time about it. And I would end up going and I would feel really guilty when I didn't go and all this stuff. And I could have saved myself a lot of guilt and a lot of time because guess what? It never mattered for me. I'm not saying networking doesn't matter for anybody, hmm. but it didn't matter for me. Hmm. I needed to network when I was ready to share a script or gotcha. talk about a specific project. And so, you know, yes, take all of the advice, do all of the things, but, but most importantly, do you be clear about what that means and do that because, you know, that's where it all comes from. You know, the kind of director that I want to be is not the kind of director that you're going to be. Yeah. We're, everyone is different. And, and even as a performer, as an actor, your path in life is just going to be remarkably different than everyone else's. You know, when you buy clothes, you know, uh, what, 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 I don't ever do this, of course, because I'm just not this fashionable. But what they always tell you is you go buy a clothes, you buy cheap clothes and then you get them tailored, you know. So take all sure. the advice, but make sure to take that time to tailor it to yourself. <laughs> that is beautiful. That's beautiful advice. Well, and just going off of that, you mentioned this idea of like, because we are backstage, I, I would love to hear more early career artist advice, maybe particularly for storytellers who are from marginalized groups, storytellers of color. I think that, I think my advice there is to, you should be thinking about the marketplace. Mm -hmm. You have to, you have to think about what people are going to buy, what do they want, et cetera. But you can't let that dictate your process. They are separate processes. This is very, very, very important because if all you're allowing yourself to do and think about 
creatively are the things that you think are going to get you where you want to go. Right. Well, then you're going to, by the time you get to where you're going, you will have completely lost all joy in the creative process. And I'm speaking from experience, you know, and I'm, okay. I'm speaking from experience and I'm echoing a thing that I, everyone I know of who has, you know, so-called made it, had their big break, has experienced that like, mm. yes, I'm doing all these wonderful things that I've wanted to do my whole life, but I don't even remember why this is fun. Well, that's because like you've completely shut off the part of yourself that just wants to create because it's fun right. and because it's play and because it's it's satisfying to your soul. And that's the part of you that becomes more and more valuable as you so-called make your break. And so never, don't ever get rid of that part of you that just wants to put on a show for two people or just wants to do it because it's fun or just wants to play dress up or just wants to be a kid. Like, don't ignore that part of you. Don't say, no, that's not going to sell. No, that's not going to get me this right. job. No, I have to do this. You know, you got to balance out those two voices because I'm telling you, you know, you, you're going to, you need, you need the voice that's thinking about the outside world to make it for sure, to break mm -hmm. in. But once you're in, you got to remember who you are. You got to remember what, what your individual spirit is saying. All that woo woo stuff really matters <laughs> on the other side, because then when you're in front of a room of people who are waiting for you to give them a creative direction, mm. well, you have access to your creative instincts. Because yeah. it's not about making it at that point. At that point, it is discovering, like, well, should the wall be blue, damn it? Should she be crying in this scene? And who is going to tell you that information if not for that inner part of you that, you know, just likes doing it because it's super fun? Keeping with this theme of inspiration, empowering yourself as an individual within these systems in Hollywood, in the country, in the world, we go now to Simone Missick, who in her interview, I think echoes some of what Justin just said in terms of remember what your individual spirit is saying. Uh, Simone really speaks that way as an actor and directly to her fellow actors. This is someone who has thought a lot about how being yourself, which of course is probably easier said than done, especially for those dreaming kind of of making their way through this industry as an actor, especially those who don't look like the Hollywood status quo, but being yourself is maybe that's all you can do. Maybe this maybe this is your baby step, listener. Figure out how to be yourself as honestly and loudly as possible. Let these voices inspire you to do that and then let the industry come to you and let that kind of carve your way through. Simone Missick is the star of CBS's All Rise. Her whole interview is full of wonderful, actionable inspiration for her fellow actors. But let's get right to the moment where she addresses this idea of what can an individual actor do. Here she is, Simone Missick. Last quick question, which I know is not a small question, but um, given the state of the industry today, and I mean, All Rise really speaks to this really well, what is your advice to actors of color, actors from minority groups, um, but really any artists of color for advice for how to navigate Hollywood today, the industry today? Be your authentic self. Mm. I spent so much time trying to fit into a commercial idea of what I thought people wanted to buy, okay. what they were looking for, from everything from my hair and the way that I wore it to the way that I dressed, to trying to be a certain size, mm. um, to the way that I presented myself in a room. And it was so inauthentic to who I had spent my entire life becoming. Mm. And it wasn't until I said, they are going to get me. They're going to get my hat, my hair as nappy mm. or as kinky or as coily or as curly as it's going to be. They're going to get my skin tone, my size, everything, my voice. Mm -hmm. um, and what I think that we see in our industry today is that the industry is looking for that authenticity. Okay. You see it with shows like Insecure. Yeah. You see it with performances by Kerry Washington and Viola Davis and, you know, all of these phenomenal women who go and they, Anjanou Ellis, and, you know, they, they, mm -hmm. they give you themselves the beauty of Lovecraft Country was how yes. authentic and specific it was to that culture and those people. The more specific and honest that you are about yourself, the more confident you are when you walk into a room, mm. the more you have to gift to a particular project or production. 
And I think that until they want to make it, make it yourself. Ooh. They don't know what they want until you give it to them. Mm. We didn't know that we wanted to see two black girls be young and silly on HBO until we saw it. We didn't know that we wanted sci-fi drama set in, you know, 1940s Chicago until we got Lovecraft. So be your own creators. Don't wait for someone to open the door for you. Open Mm. it for yourself. It makes you happy. It feeds you artistically until you get the yes that you need to pay all your bills and to do it on a larger scale. But it only sharpens you so that when you do step on set, someone is paying you to bring your voice. You are not shy. You are not afraid to share it. You are not, you don't feel empowered. You don't feel like the token. You feel like the person that is meant to be there Mm. to bless that project. Yes, Simone. Thank you so much. Doesn't that just make you feel all warm and fuzzy? The industry is looking for that authenticity. Yes, this is such great advice. That idea of taking these personal steps to get to know thyself, where you are in the industry and and how far there is to go. Quote, open that door for yourself. I mean, that's beautiful advice. Again, for listeners of all backgrounds, We are coming to the end of this special Black Voices in Hollywood episode. Let's hear now from Jonathan Majors. Congratulations, Jonathan, on your SAG Award nominations for Lovecraft Country and the Five Bloods. If you're an actor who listened to this whole interview of Jonathan's, I hope it left you feeling full of hope and power and um, quite a bit of know-how. He speaks directly to his peers as actors. He speaks about working in Hollywood. He kind of ties together all of the segments we've heard today. Let's jump right into it here. Uh, This is my interview with Jonathan Majors. You mentioned this idea of like, yes, first of all, casting and being pigeonholed and stereotyping, but what are your impressions of the state of the industry when it comes to like race and discrimination in the year 2020? Well, I would say when we have a conversation about the industry, we're having a conversation about Hollywood. Right, yes. quote unquote, right, Hollywood. Yes. And Hollywood is so powerful that when we say Hollywood, we're also talking about Broadway, we're also talking about, yes. you know, we're, talk, we're talking, it's, it's an overarching umbrella of. Uh, it's one of the catch-all. institutions you talk yeah, about. It, yeah, it's a catch all. Um, and I think we should just talk about where Hollywood is located, which is in California, okay. which, is in the, which is in the United States of America. Yes. Right. And that is who um, Hollywood, quote unquote, must serve. We're all in the service industry. And I think now Hollywood has to understand, the institution, right, um, uh, has to understand that they are responsible, you know, that they have a huge responsibility that entertainment is not just for popcorn, giggles, and snacks. Mm you know, date night. No, no, no. Entertainment is a huge part of our culture. Mm. And because it's such a huge part of our culture, you have such a huge responsibility as an institution to present the aforementioned culture in a way that is completely mm. um, natural and authentic. Um, okay. That's the call to action. And I think um, we're getting there. Yes. I really believe we're getting there because we're listening, right? Mm. And we're paying attention. Um, yeah. Yeah. And in the year 2020, there does seem to be that thing you were talking about earlier about the stopping. I think 2020 has kind of forced us all to stop and do a little bit more listening. Yeah. Yeah. Get that download, you know, get the The download. download. Yes. That's what's happened. You know, this year has been a download. Yeah. And we've all been stuck watching TV, YouTube, et cetera, listening. And all we're listening to is this, is this circle of damnation, right? <laughs> Actually, the circle, right, of download, right? Yeah. And something something is being dropped into us individually yeah. and then culturally and ultimately mm-hmm. into the institutions where, because mm-hmm. here's the institutions, bro. Institutions are ran by people. Yeah. And that's our saving grace, yeah. you see. The institutions are and ran our by downfall. people. <laughs> and our downfall, yeah. you know? Um, yes. But I would consider myself a bit of an optimist. And, well, that's um, good. That's good. And I, and I hope that, you know, every actor that is making things, mm. you know, can feel emboldened and feel encouraged, you know, yes. that, you know, we have power, you know, mm. the artist has power and 
be yourself. Let your heart break every day. And, and mm. the beautiful thing about it is people have to look at you. Be okay. seen. Mm. Be seen. Be seen. You know, we're the foot soldiers. You know, the kids going in audition. You know, mm. if you walk in, if you're taping, et cetera, you're the foot soldiers. Mm. You know, you're on the front lines. You know, I'm on the front lines with you. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. like, let's show them, we, we can show them full humanity at all times. Yeah. You know, it's our job because we're taking black and white letters and trying to make it into a full bodied human being. Well, that's mm. a cheat sheet and we all signed up for it. So, mm-hmm. you know, the institution changes um, by all the people around it changing. Yeah. That's, Brilliant. That's absolutely, I was going to ask like, what is your advice for, for the individuals, especially for the actors, the early career actors who probably have the least amount of power in this whole institution? Mm -hmm. What is that? What is the call to action? And of course, I mean, you just answered it. It's to take the responsibility of you're the ones seen, you're the ones reflecting the audience, reflecting truths. That's right. You said it. Yeah. Because what you get is their time. You know, mm. you watch that tape. You have their time. That tape may mm. be a minute, 30 seconds. The tape may be five minutes. But you have their time. You know, Ooh. you have to feel that time with as much authenticity and with as, with as much truth and as much you mm-hmm. as you can. You know, to quote my dear Dean, Gerald Freeman, you are enough. But <laughs> you can only be enough if you're brave enough to be you. Be you. What an inspiration, Jonathan. Thank you. If you are an actor, I hope you've heard that interview in full. Go listen to it. It's amazing. And thank you to all the guests for joining us for this very special compilation episode of In the Envelope. Uh, We have a couple more voices to hear from, including next up, the great Janet Mock. Uh, But we couldn't finish this episode without honoring a real trailblazer, someone that we think about when we talk about Black Lives Matter and the movement in Hollywood changing the status quo talking, of course, about Cicely Tyson, who passed away this January. We honor her. She is remembered, of course, for her stunning performances, which earned every award in the book, including an honorary Oscar and a Tony Award at age 88. She kept working and earning accolades well into her 90s. She's so iconic, and her legacy is so important because it mirrored and, of course, then helped advance the American civil rights movement of the 20th century. So she's a true trailblazer for Black women in entertainment and backstage was lucky enough to interview her in 2019. So here is a quote from her backstage five. Quote, I could not afford the luxury of just being an actress. I had some issues to address and since I was quite shy, I didn't think I was built to do it, parading up and down and waving batons and saying, save us black people. That wasn't in my makeup. I just decided to use my profession as my platform and God blessed me. And then when Cicely was asked for what advice she would give her younger self, she just said, follow your own heart and your own desires. Thank you, Cicely, and to all of today's guests for blazing those trails, for, quote, using your profession as your platform. Uh, Let's wrap up this interview section of the show with a quick snippet of our interview with Janet Mock, uh, best known for Pose, the writer, director, producer, and certainly trailblazer and activist in her own right. She was asked that same question that Cicely was asked. Uh, what advice would you give your younger self? I hope you all take it to heart. Stick around to hear a quick word from Christine mckenna Torella uh, about this week's Backstage Casting Insider segment. And thank you all for tuning in. Here is Janet Mock. Okay, last question. And you've, you've basically written books about this topic, but if you, I ask everyone, if you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? Slow down, enjoy the mm. process, um, be present exactly where you're at right now, because you'll never get this moment back again. Um, and yes, girl, you are correct and you are right. <laughs> Trust that instinct and keep mm. pushing forward. Yeah, that's what I would say. And it's not not really one piece of advice, but I think that as a trans person, and I'm sure a lot of queer people can understand this too, or people of color or women or anyone that's often silenced and invisibilized, um, is that so often you're met with people shaking their head Mm -hmm. and what you need is someone nodding at you. 
Um, And that simple affirmation can push you through. Um, And so sometimes you have to nod at yourself and say, yes, you got this. Trust your instincts. You're right. That feeling that you have about this person, about this moment, about this opportunity, trust that. Do not silence that. Do not silence yourself in the same way that the world is constantly, oftentimes silencing you. And now it's time to hear from Christine McKenna-Torella, our backstage casting insider. I will let her take it away. Hi guys, Christine McKenna-Torella here. This week I've asked Destiny Lilly to be a guest casting insider. Destiny Lilly is an incredibly talented New York casting director who sees herself as a creative matchmaker who brings directors, writers, and producers together with actors and talent to birth new and exciting partnerships. She's an advocate for actors in the room and believes the casting process can be a positive experience for people on both sides of the table. I couldn't agree with her more. She's also on the board of directors for CSA, which is Casting Society of America. And you may remember her from Backstage's diversity and inclusion panel conversation with CSA back in October of 2020. She's a super busy lady, and we're excited to include her voice on the Black Voices in Hollywood episode. I'll be back next Thursday, but until then, break a leg in all your auditions and have a beautiful week. Here's Destiny's thoughts on this week's episode. Hi, I'm Destiny Lilly, and I'm a casting director. I'm excited and humbled to share space with the beautiful and talented Black artists featured in this episode. I really connected with the advice given by Simone Missick to be your authentic self. I've struggled in the past to find my place in this industry, but I've realized that by being my authentic self, I'm able to do my best work and create a brave space for Black actors and other Black creatives to do their best work as well. My advice to Black actors is rooted in bringing your authentic self into the audition and not trying to contort yourself into who you think we want to see. We heard Janet Mock say, do not silence yourself in the same way that the world is constantly oftentimes silencing you. Janet's words resonate with me because I've seen so many Black actors place limitations on themselves based on how they think they will be perceived. Jonathan Major said, We're all in the service industry. And that really struck me because in casting, we often talk about being in a service industry as serving the needs of our clients, the studio, director, producer, or theater company. But there's a deeper level of service that we must embrace. Service to history, service to authenticity and the truth, service to our communities, our ancestors, and ourselves. I'd like to thank the team at Backstage for having me today, and I hope to be back soon. Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Grau Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.